0: Well, welcome everyone. Glad you braved the cooler temperatures that we're having. Um, this series has um, six videos uh, that go with it uh, we're going to watch the first one tonight and so if there's anything in it that you uh, feel like you'd like to discuss, uh, we can certainly do that and uh, just and then I've got some other stuff prepared to uh, kind of get us going in this study. I mean, last week we kind of did the introduction to this. And so some of the stuff that we did in the introduction will be repeated in this uh, because the videos tend to cover, some of them are just for one chapter, but some of them tend to cover more than one. So um, we will see if we can get this started. How's that sound? Okay.
1: When my nine-year-old daughter memorized the Ten Commandments, she was pretty excited to say them to me. I sat on the edge of her bed, and she made her way through that list. When she was finished, I thought, you know, this is probably a good opportunity for a teachable moment. And so I said to her, Morgan, have you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? She gave me this shy smile, reluctant to answer that question. I said, Morgan, have you ever lied? She nodded. I said, Morgan, have you ever not honored your mom and dad? We both knew the answer to that question. That was really more of a rhetorical question. I kept pressing. I said, Morgan, I know you've never murdered anyone, but have you ever hated someone in your heart? And she was ready to put an end to this interrogation. And so here's what she said. She said, Dad, I know one commandment I've never broken. I've never made for myself an idol in the form of anything. I resisted the temptation to explain to her that this is the one commandment we've broken more than all the others. Martin Luther said, really, you can't break any of the other commandments without first breaking that one. But I began to wonder how many people would make the same assumption as my daughter. that They don't assume they struggle with idolatry because idolatry seems like this antiquated issue for superstitious primitives, just doesn't have much relevance today But there's a reason why this is the most talked about problem in all of Scripture. It's because for most of us, idolatry is the issue. Who or what we worship is what we live for. And that determines everything. As a pastor, besides struggling with my own sins, I often talk to people who have their own struggles. When I hear about their struggles, my first instinct is to just call it what it is and say, well, that's a sin and you need to stop. But what I've discovered is that if you dig deeper, underneath that sin struggle is always idolatry. That there is this tangible sin that is the fruit. But idolatry is always the root.
2: I always had this incredible desire to prove myself and do some good. I was an idealist. And um, I was, I guess you would say, on the fast track to success. The poor kid grows up, uh, gets all the breaks, and ends up
3: in the office next to the President of the United States. I remember thinking when I got out of school and sort of began the workaday life, uh, what do you do that really uh, defines you? And it seemed the most logical thing was to try to become
1: as successful as possible in the business world. Who we are and what we do comes down to this issue of idolatry. In the Old Testament book of Joshua, we meet Joshua at the end of his life in chapter 24. He's had a full life. He was with Moses when they led the Israelites out of Egypt. He watched the walls of Jericho fall. He led the people of God into the land of Canaan. And now, at the end of his life, he's about 110 years old. And he gathers the people together for what will be his last recorded words to them. And here's what he says. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then he says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He tells the people to decide what gods they will worship. But notice one option that is conspicuously absent. Joshua does not say, or you could choose to worship nothing at all. Because the truth is, everyone worships something. It's hardwired into our DNA. You could parachute into the deepest jungles of South America to people who had never made contact with the outside world, and you would find that they worship a god or many gods. You could jet into the heart of culture, New York or Paris, You would find that even the elite worship something, money, power, status, intelligence. See, you may not be a Christian, but you still worship a God. Worshiping nothing is not an option.
3: My mom's from a country family, and
4: food was thought about as, wasn't really thought about. You know, it was one of those things, if it feels good, you just sort of do it. And it was all about enjoyment. There was no discussion about nutrition. There was none of that kind of thing.
5: I experienced sexual abuse, which was um, very confusing. Ever since I was little, I longed to be a boy. And I really rejected my gender. And. I think a really core belief that came out of that struggle for me uh, was I really felt like a mistake, like I was trapped in the wrong body.
6: I was raised the son of a pastor in a small Pentecostal church. Uh, the de- denomination was really legalistic. Uh, God seemed to be a person who was trying to send me to hell all the time. Everything seemed to be wrong. God was a list of things you can't do. and I didn't want any part of it, I, especially as a teenager. It wasn't so bad when I was a kid, but as a teenager, I really started rebelling, uh, not wanting to be part of this bunch of hypocrites.
1: Joshua says you need to make a choice. The first option was for the people to worship the gods of their fathers, which is what we often do. We worship work because dad worshiped work. We worship money because mom worshiped money. And many of us dedicate our lives to the gods of our fathers.
2: I can remember sitting on the back porch of our home on
1: Sunday afternoons, which was the
2: only time I got with my dad, I was in school every night and working all day. And he would teach me always do a good day's work for a good day's pay, and that was drilled into me. There was still a That ethic in America, that ethic that hard work and you can get ahead, a great land of opportunity. And I would come home every day,
3: um, could not wait to get home, um,
4: and uh, usually tormented from the bus stop to my house by whatever kids in the neighborhood. And when I got there, my mom would have some kind of food fixed, I don't care what it was. um, But it made everything okay.
1: And my mom did the only thing she knew to do, which was to feed me. Next, Joshua speaks of the gods of the Canaanites and the Egyptians. And these are the gods of their culture. Sometimes turn on the television and just pay attention to the advertising because businesses will try to sell their product by attributing God characteristics to it. If you listen close, it sounds like they're trying to sell a savior. If you're unhappy, bored, depressed, just buy this and be saved from your unhappiness. If you just eat at this restaurant, then you'll be satisfied. If you don't order this right now, then you're going to miss out. And our entire economy is based on the fact that we're idolaters. And of course, something doesn't have to be evil or wrong to be a false God. And some of these things are very good things, but here's what can subtly happen. A good thing can become a God thing.
3: We were able to present our business plan to 1,500 people in a venture capital forum about six months after we launched the company. And money started chasing us. And I became very, very caught up in this. It not only uh, served to make me feel successful, it also started to make me feel... uh,
5: significant. A pattern for my abuse taught me to not have healthy relations um, with the opposite sex. And there was a really strong belief that rooted in me from that experience, and that is I am not valuable. What I didn't know was that I was created for love. I was created to, to be loved extravagantly and to and to love others. I started to feel this, this desperation that I needed to, to fill this desire to be acceptable, to be loved, to, to be okay.
6: So I'm living this life, going to Tuesday morning Bible studies and prayer meetings with the men of the church. And in the meantime, we'd brought a computer into our house and
1: I discovered internet porn. And so I want us to spend some time identifying some of the gods of war in our lives. I I know that most of us are reluctant to admit a problem here. We're quick to say, I don't have any idols that I'm worshiping in my life. But I want to ask you some questions. These are questions that a counselor friend of mine asked me a few years ago. And I found that my honest but reluctant answers revealed some of the gods that were winning the war in my heart. And so as I ask these questions, just Answer them as honestly as possible. Question number one. What has left you feeling the most disappointed? When we feel overwhelmed with disappointment, it's often because of idolatry. We've made something more important than it should be. We've put our hope in something other than God. So are you disappointed with your financial status, or your children, or your sex life, or your marriage? One indicator of your disappointment is what you complain about. Our complaining often reveals an idol in our life.
5: I began to, to worship these other attempts in my life, to try to grasp a sense of love and acceptance. So I didn't know how to have a healthy relationship with a boy or a guy, um, very physical and, and sexualized. And with the girls, I didn't know how to relate to them. That is when they started to become the mystery for me. That's when attraction started for me with the same sex. And that's when my pornography started.
1: Question two. What do you sacrifice your time and money for? The word serve appears seven times in verses 14 and 15. Serving in Joshua's day was more than just time. It was finances as well. Your income, livestock, produce. So where's the first place your paycheck goes through? A huge house, a car payment, special education for the kids. See, our biggest investments are oftentimes our most sacred idols.
3: I got completely pulled into this vortex of defining my life by the success of this company. And I would come home from the office, I would get back on the phone, I would get back on the internet, and I would
1: work, 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 work. Question three, what do you worry about? What scares you? What are you the most terrified of losing? Maybe you fear not reaching a certain level of success, people not liking you. Maybe it's being alone. These things have the potential to become our idols because in them we find our meaning, our significance, sometimes our very identity.
6: And I started thinking that I could I could really make a living in this. Um, I, I bet I could. I could produce this, and what better job to be paid to be around naked girls all the time? So I would, I would start shooting porn part-time behind my wife's back. And I did that for three years. It's not like she didn't know something was wrong. She just didn't know what. I was always afraid that I'd be caught.
1: Question four. Where do you go when you're hurt and you need comfort? Theologian Henry Blackaby defines an idol as anything you turn to for help instead of first turning to God. It might be food, it might be sex, it might be a relationship, but where we go for comfort often reveals what God is winning the war. And I didn't know how to deal with how I felt,
4: but I knew how to feel good. And so I would eat. The more rejection
2: I had, the more I would eat. And this continued for years.
5: So be desperate enough to attach yourself to this. And try to get intimacy here. Try to get connection here. Try to get love here. Try to feel something here. And that was in secret. Nobody knew of that struggle. The fantasy never satisfied. They never satisfied.
6: But even as a porn producer, I knew that. In fact, I used to specifically target Christian audiences when I would look for people to come visit the websites that I built. I knew that Christians would click through at a higher percentage. It was true. It was a well-known fact in the industry uh, where Christians are looked at as the biggest hypocrites on earth. When you keep something a secret, it becomes a bigger issue. The more that you hide it, the stronger it becomes.
1: Question five, what makes you mad? Have you ever been surprised how something unexpected can make you angry? You lose your temper at a pickup basketball game. Your spouse disrespects you and you just start yelling. The money you were promised doesn't get paid. You lose control. Why? Could it be that the victory at the game, or the respect from the spouse, or money that you're owed means more than you thought?
2: In 1971, on my 40th birthday, the Wall Street Journal did a front page piece about me. He interviewed someone who worked for me in the United States Senate and said, watch out, he's soft-spoken, but he's tough. So tough he'd run over his own grandmother. And that that made headlines thereafter. And even to this day, I'll see stories written about me. There's a Chuck Colson who once boasted you run over his own grandmother. That'll go to my tombstone, I'm afraid.
1: Question six, what do you dream of? What are you the most passionate about? Maybe it's sports or decorating, maybe it's music or your appearance or work. Nothing wrong with those things necessarily, but is it possible that one of those things has become more important than God?
3: Every goal was around money and my work and my net worth. I just didn't realize that I was willing to pay any price to accomplish those goals and that Christ was no longer on the radar.
1: Whose encouragement means the most to you? You want your boss to call you in and say, we couldn't do this without you. You want your spouse to say, you are the husband, you're the wife I've always dreamed of having. You want your dad to say, I'm proud of you. You want your mom to say, you're doing a great job with your kids. And though we all want encouragement like that, it can end up being what we live for. Not God's, but someone else's approval and applause.
5: I would look at them and say, oh, I long to, to be accepted by them. I long to be loved by them. And so I'm in this dichotomy and I'm longing to connect with the girls, but I'm hurting so much, I didn't know how to do that.
2: I was known as former Marine Captain, White House stuff Guy Nixon said I'd walk through doors without opening up if I had to. And he was always saying, Chuck is the one guy that can get things done around here. He doesn't pay any attention to the bureaucracy. He just goes in and
3: gets it done. And the more I thought about being successful or super successful in the eyes of other people, the harder I tried and the more I pushed and the more dedicated I was to, to the point that I, I, I recognized that I was out of control. And I was convinced. it was sort of the perfect balance portfolio. I had a little Jesus
1: and a lot of money. So Joshua identifies these gods at war within us, and then he throws down this challenge. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. What's interesting is that the verb tense here implies more than just a one-time decision, as if you could cast a vote and then be done with it forever. Instead, when he says choose, it is a continuous action. It's not this one big decision, but rather it is a decision that we make every day, many times a day, we choose to worship the Lord. In the second of the Ten Commandments, God says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You've probably heard that part before. But then it goes on to say, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. In other words, he's not interested in sharing the throne of your heart any more than your husband or wife would be okay with you dating around. So here's what God will do. He will often put himself in direct competition with these other idols that we worship, and he will say, you choose. You choose between me and money. You choose between me and sex. You choose between me and that relationship. You choose between me and that promotion. He doesn't give you the option of making him just one of many.
4: I was looking in the mirror, and I I said some words that were along the lines of, God, I I,
3: I don't know what to do anymore. I just, I, I quit. I just quit. And at that moment, I said, Lord, I don't even know what I need to do. How do I change?
2: I knew it was going to be a lonely, depressing experience. But I felt free inside because I wanted to live my life only for the living God, the one true God.
5: And that's when I cried out to God. That's when I said, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you're real. I don't know if this whole thing is legit. (laughs) All I know is that I need a God. I need a God to show me how to live. I need a God to save my, life. save my
1: life. Don't dismiss Joshua's challenge as antiquated or irrelevant. The question still remains the same. Who will you serve? What God will you worship? The God of your fathers? The gods of your culture? Or the one true God? There are gods at war and the stakes couldn't be higher.
0: Anything in that video that struck home to you? I thought talking about the watching TV, watching the commercials and how that they present godlike characteristics to the things they're selling. Anybody ever noticed that in in your viewing during your viewing pleasure? One of the things you said.
6: That Joshua didn't give an option of uh, that stood out to me. You can serve God, or you can serve other gods, or no God at all. You didn't get that third option because that's non-existent, and we're all serving some God or gods. Right. That uh, that was a strong.
4: Yeah, Bob. I would also add that uh, during our lifetimes, I think we can serve different gods. I remember earlier in my military career being very career-focused and wanting to get ahead and, and move up. Um, I think, you know, as I got further in my career I realized politics and the cost of moving up at times was more than I was willing to pay, and I just became comfortable with my decisions. did the best I could went as far as I went, but I didn't sell my soul to make the next rank, if you will. So, but just because that was no longer a God to me or something I was pursuing, I think there's, at every age of life, I think there's something that's going to be tempting to be a God to us at each age of our existence.
0: Yeah. I thought it was interesting when you talked about um, choose that for me and my house we will serve the Lord when, when he's saying about choosing that that it was a, it's a daily choice, it's not a one time choice and I'm done with it that we have to choose every day because like you say I think those uh, the idols change that tempt us anybody else? Tim.
7: One of the things that struck me is when he said, where you run for comfort is an indicator of something that could be a in, in your life. You know, think about you know, God, God wants us to run to him. You know, to, he wants to be our everything. You know, whether we're in joy or pain or, or whatever, but if we're struggling or have stress in our life or whatever if we're running to something else to numb that pain then that's, we're, we're putting God second
0: okay. <laughs> so, so anything that we put before God or run to in times of crisis, then those are the things that we should at least be aware of and cautious of um, just with a show of hands, I'm not going to ask for specifics. But did any, did everyone in here see something in that that was like, ouch? I, I hope so, because I didn't want to be the only one. That, <laughs> <laughs> but usually it was more than one of them that was that was the ouch moment for me. Um, but the. The other videos that come with this kind of break this down a little more. Some of the people in them kind of um, tell their story in a little more depth, and we're able to kind of see uh, how these, um, these can affect us. Okay. Um, imagine that you've, we'll say some guy, we'll say you, you go to the doctor, you've got a really bad cough and you've been coughing for weeks and it keeps you up at night. It interrupts every conversation that you have and it finally gets so bad it's like, I gotta go to the doctor for this. So you go to the doctor, he runs some tests and it comes back, lung cancer. But the doctor knows this is gonna be hard news for you to accept so He doesn't tell you that it's cancer, he just uh, prescribed you a strong cough medicine and says you'll feel better in a few days. And so he uh, prescribes this, you go home, take it, and sure enough, that night you sleep well. Um, So the cough syrup seems to have, have solved the problem. But we know that's not the way it works, right? So meanwhile, this cancer is quietly eating away at your body when we when we interact with people how many how often do we encounter people that are coughing or scratch coughing maybe they're struggling they're hurting they're stressing they're cheating they're lusting they're spending they're worrying they're quitting they're medicating how many times do we see these symptoms and then we ask what's going on and they say I've got a cough they don't even know what the problem is many times but they think they've got it figured out and but they can't stop coughing and often they're talking about their symptoms and not the true illness which is idolatry and he says in his in the book that you can't commit any other sins without idolatry being there first, and i I had to think about that for a while, but I think he's right because if nothing else, the God of me gets on the throne of my heart, and I do what I want to do but if God is at if God is in his rightful place in our lives he's he occupies the throne of our hearts, then We're going to be worshiping him and we're not going to be looking um, at false gods to fill voids in our life. It says idolatry isn't just one sin of many. It is the one great sin that all others come from. If you start scratching at whatever struggle you're dealing with, eventually you'll find a false god. And until that god is dethroned and the Lord God takes his rightful place, we're going to struggle. And we said this last week, he said it in the video, and I'm going to say it again, that idolatry isn't an issue, idolatry is the issue. And until we can come to terms with that I think we're going to struggle with the sin that we have in our lives in Exodus 20 if you want to turn there this is uh, God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses so Exodus 20 we'll read the first three verses and God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery you shall have no other gods before me. We talked about this a little last week when it talks about having gods before me is not having gods above me in a, or a hierarchy of gods, and he's just in there. The context is having no other gods in my presence. The, the before me is in my presence, and so when we look look in that context, it it takes on a little different meaning. Um, when God when God was giving this this command, uh, the people His people, the Israelites, they were familiar with other gods. They just spent four hundred plus years in slavery in Egypt. And Egypt had a god under every stone, so to speak. Every neighborhood had its own god. Um, and so, it's, so it was a cultural thing, like he said in the video, the gods, of their, or the gods of their culture. And so why does God give this command? You shall have no other gods before me. Is he insecure, Steve?
2: As you say, for one thing, states at least a couple times that he is a jealous God. He wants us. And he doesn't want to share us.
0: Right. And we, we will get much deeper into that probably next week. But that's, that is very true. It's not because he's insecure. It's because that's the way it is. There is no other God. He is the only one. So anything that we would put in his place is going to be inferior. It's going to be counterfeit. It's not going to be real because he is it.
4: And I would add that it it cannot satisfy as we saw the young lady in the the video chasing after the other things and just throwing her hands up and saying, God, I need you because this other stuff's not working.
0: Right. Yeah, so so any time, and we'll get to this later in the in the series, but any time that we put the gifts that God gives us into God's place, pain results because God, like he says, he's going to put himself put put you in a position where you have to choose. Am I going to choose the inferior? Am I going to choose the fake or am I going to choose the real God? And that's, I think that's the decision that we end up having to make on a daily basis. Are we going to serve God and allow Him to reign in our lives or are we going to serve the gifts that He gives to us? So God is the only God, he's the, he owns the universe, he operates it, he designed it, he knows how it works, and he is the only God that can help us, direct us, satisfy us, and save us. As we continue in Exodus 20, um, oh wait, I'm ahead of myself here, sorry. So, so as, as we've seen through that, through, uh, through God's um, command that he's the only one, and we, we see that he's kind of had it with these other gods, the gods of Egypt, the gods of the Amorites where they're living, and he wants his people to understand that he is the one and only God He's the Lord He's our Lord. In our culture, a lot of people say, well, we just I mean, it's not that we worship a lot of gods. we just don't worship anybody. We don't worship anything. Do, is, do you think that's true in our society? I mean, my guess is that our list of gods is probably longer than the Egyptians' list of gods. Um, Because we call them by different names doesn't change what they are. Um, We don't have the gods of commerce or the gods of agriculture. Uh, We don't have the god of sex or the god of the hunt. But we do have our portfolios. We've got our homes, our automobiles. We've got entertainment, some wholesome, some not. We have sports. So I think we we could probably dig in pretty deep and find some really tough idols to throw down in our lives. But the bottom line is if if it looks like an idol and if it quacks like an idol, We can call it a cough uh, instead of calling it cancer, but it doesn't make it any less deadly. Now, as we go on through in Exodus 20, uh, verse 4 and the first part of verse 5, he says, "...you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below." you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So why is it so hard for us to identify the gods that we set up sometimes? I mean, I have to think, if I know I'm an idolater, am I going to Be a little more aware of it and maybe try to throw those idols down. I think a lot of times we see, it's in ignorance that we do this. We don't see like the the guy that had the the perfect portfolio, a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of money. Sometimes we just don't see that as our idols. Yeah. I
7: was just going to say what he said, we label them as good. They start out good, and whatever that is. And then, you know, whether it's you hunting or me watching sports or, so get, you know, it's, and then we compare ourselves to other people. Right. Like, um, not like that. Or, um, so, and it's easy for us because we're so spoiled. all the stuff we've made. Yep. This little phone that we all carry around.
0: That couldn't be an idol, could it? (laughs) Could our phones be an idol? Yes.
7: I think that makes it that much I've got, got a little bit. I've got Jesus in my life, but you know, this—we're we, not willing to admit or even critically look at the fact that other things are much more important in our lives. Yeah, Richard. Thinking about
3: if I have an image in front of me and I'm worshiping that image, it's easy to know that's my idol. some of the things are just good. Food is good. Money is good. Other stuff. And so when does it become an idol? I was thinking about James 1, 14 and 15, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. So food starts out being okay to eat. But then Satan slowly, sometimes quickly, says, (laughs) hey, wouldn't you like this? Wouldn't you like this? Isn't that cool? Don't you get comfort food, as he said? And those kind of things. And so those things then slowly evolved to be our idols without us realizing it.
0: Right. I mean, I, I would say that our idols that we worship today, they... They're harder to recognize because they don't really have the religious trappings around them like uh, like a statue or something that you set up on the mantle. Um, but we serve our money, we serve food. What, whatever, whatever our idol is, uh, it's no less deadly in being on the throne of our hearts than if it were a golden image on the mantelpiece and also like that's already been said many times it's not even something that's bad I mean some of it's good, some of it is neutral I mean there are things that that we're drawn into that would be bad under every circumstance probably can't think of a place where pornography would be a great thing to do but but if we're, I mean, we could even have something like um, serving at the soup kitchen could become an idol to us if, if that's what we're doing to feel good about ourselves and to, hey, look at me, I'm great, um, instead of doing it to honor God and worship him. So, so st- stuff that we would consider to be very good things can become idols depending on how we look at it. The problem is that the instant something takes the place of God, the moment it becomes an end in itself, rather than something to lay at God's throne, it becomes an idol. When someone or something replaces the Lord God in the, in the position of glory in our lives, then that person or thing, by definition, has become our God. Is that an accurate definition, you think? How do we tell? This is exactly why I can't say, Eddie, here's what your idols are. I don't know. In Psalm 106, uh, the psalmist is looking back at um, the kind of the history of the Israelites and the things that, that they did bad. And starting with verse 19 and 20, it said, At Horeb, they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal they exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass so they didn't even worship a real bull they just worshipped a image of a bull and what, what a insult to God that must be I mean when he talks about our glorious God I mean The God that creates us, the God that sustains us, the God that saves us, and we're willing to so easily accept a substitute that will be our downfall. So they traded God for their own creation. And then my question to us is are we any different? Bill already talked about things that we create uh, that become our God. What about our houses that we're constantly updating? What about our promotion that comes with the corner office, an acceptance into a fraternity, a team that wins the championship, a body that is toned and fit? We work hard at molding and creating our golden calves. So, are these things that, am I talking to you or am I just talking to myself here? Are these, are these things that we, we see that could be problems in our lives? And so like we look at here, I mean, any of these things I mean anything can become an idol once it becomes a substitute for God and so that's that's where I want us to kind of think about for a little bit next week we're going to kind of delve a little more into like Steve was talking about God being a jealous God so why is idolatry such a big deal um because God loves us to such a degree that we really don't even understand it. And when, when, he has, when he sees us pulling away and he has to share us with the stuff that we have, um, he's a jealous God and he's not willing to do that. And like you said in the video, um, would you be all right with your husband or wife dating around? I don't think so. And if they weren't jealous about that, wouldn't that be a problem too? <laughs> so so God's jealousy towards us is because of His great love for us. And we're going to dig a little deeper into that next week. Yeah, Bob?
4: One is protection of us because when we're, when we're basically putting something else as a God, Heavenly Father understands that's putting our souls in jeopardy because those other things really are from the Satan and from, you know, the evil side and, and they're dragging us away and, and dragging us away from that relationship with the one God.
0: Right. And I don't think we can overstate um, that um, well, first of all, the, for we can't overstate God's love for us, but um, how that, by by following these idols, that that they're not real. I mean, that's that's what I kind of have to keep coming back to. That that we we look at money to um, give us comfort, to give us meaning, to whatever food to give us comfort. I don't whatever whatever it is instead of God, but it's not. I mean. It's not a real God. I mean, and that's, that's what we talked about earlier, that God, it's just the way it is in the universe that he created, that he is the only God. And so anything else that we choose is not a God. It's just something that we have enshrined on the throne of our hearts that take the place of God and cause us uh, misery, disappointment, pain, pain, and as we get into each one of these, uh, the, the temples, as he calls them, of pleasure, of power, of, uh, I forget what the third one is, but anyway, where we worship uh, the false gods that are in our lives, whether it's uh, pleasure, so whether it's food or sex or relationship, or whether it's money or status or power those things can all become gods to us and so we'll, what I want us to do is kind of look at how those can affect us and, and how we can throw those down so that we can serve only God our creator so. that's all I've got for tonight thank you all for being here and braving the cold um, if anybody has a strong hankering to teach this class once. I'm going to be gone uh, the 20, what is that? The It's spring break time. Yeah, it's March 23rd. Okay. I'm going to be in Mexico on a mission trip, not with Cozumel. I've got my own. <laughs> we go to Puerto Penasco and build a house uh, for a family in need. And so, uh, I won't be here, and so if somebody is interested in doing this class once, uh, I will either have a place in the book that that you can go, and if you, want, if you want to do that, let me know, or if you want to teach something just on your own, uh, that would be fine too. So uh, let me know if that's something you're interested in. Thank you all for being here.
1: Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the East Side Church of Christ,